Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the new unfiltered. So this is a really exciting time for this brand, because if you follow me on social media, if you don't make sure that you follow uh, the summit Instagram at at be fearless summit, as well as my personal Instagram at Alexa underscore Curtis. But I have decided to partner with another founder and merge both the be fearless summit and her company. And once we get a little bit further into this, I will start sharing what she has built because she is an incredible founder. And so through this process, we are going to be focusing heavily on building out a membership type of program for summits and for mentorship and for all the reasons that you guys even come to a Be Fearless Summit. And on top of that, we have gotten approval for a fall 2022 summit in Connecticut. Over the next week, if you follow both pages, you'll see what school we're coming to and how exciting this is going to be. This definitely will be our biggest summit yet. I know I said that about UConn, but all of these, the more that we do them, the bigger they get. So I'm really excited not only to be back in Connecticut because the energy was just incredible at the UConn summit, but more importantly, to be able to continue to bring the fearless mission along. So I am part of a program with Soho House in Austin. I've talked about this before with mentorship and just that place in general, honestly, has so many people and really incredible people to meet. And there was one day that I was there and through one of my friends met an awesome woman. And that is my guest for today's episode. And so today I've got on Stacey Ferguson. She is an award-winning marketing and communications executive, community builder, brand strategist, and startup founder. And under her leadership at her past company, she worked at Blogalicious, which evolved into a seven-figure generating multicultural influencer media agency, working with brands such as Kia, Dove, Wells Fargo, and Coca-Cola. And now Stacy works at the Genius Guild, which is a $20 million venture capital fund investing in diverse founders who serve their communities and beyond. So when I met her at South by Southwest through my friend, Margo, I realized just how incredible she is and how actually intrigued I am by the whole, not only difference in how much the influencer market has changed since I started back in 2011, but also just as I go down the route of looking to get funding and doing more of the tech side, what a lot of these VC firms are looking to invest in and how you can really diversify yourself as a founder to get funding. So Stacey, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm so excited I got to meet you. I know. And you're an East Coast person as well. I know you were in Austin for South by, but you're in Maryland, right? Exactly. Yep. I love Austin though. I love Austin. And I think the tech scene in Austin is just incredible. I don't know if you had a chance to go out. I I think you were flying out pretty soon after we met, right? I was, but my sister lives down there. So I've been several times and like, that's the one other city I think I would move to in the States. Um, cause it's just so great. I keep getting told to stop telling people to move here. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) But I I can't stop telling people to move here. I mean, besides the rents going up astronomically, Austin has so much in the tech space, but, but your background is so interesting, especially I started as a blogger back in 2011 before influencing and social media was even a career path. I solely started as a blogger. And so you worked at this pretty big a company that focused on multicultural influencers and media. So tell me how you even got into that. Cause you also worked in government as a lawyer before. So you've had quite a unique path. Yes. I've had like nine lives. Um, so really quickly, I'll give you the, the short, the short and sweet of it. 
I um, went to law school so that I could be an entertainment lawyer. Um, but of course, you know, we, we meet the boy and we get married and our plans change. <laughs> so um, not that I changed my plans for him, but he got a great opportunity in DC. And so my plan had been to do entertainment law in New York. Um, and so I ended up um, taking a position so that I could stay in the DC area. And of course, as you won't be surprised, there's not a ton of entertainment in DC. So I ended up doing more so the privacy aspects of entertainment law um, because that's very policy related and there is a lot of policy in DC. So um, that's how I ended up at a firm doing um, privacy law. And then I transitioned into advertising law at the federal government, which I really enjoyed. And um, at the time I had just started a family. So um, with two friends, we started a mom blog and this was really early days of blogging, um, 2006. And so in doing that mom blog, um, just realized how much fun it was and how you could connect with all these cool people online and it was new to everyone and just really interesting. And that's how I fell in love with blogging. Um, and so, through the, the mom blog, we realized there were not hardly any um, women of color bloggers online that we could find and connect with. It was really hard. Imagine trying to do this in the days pre-Instagram, right, um, where the internet really wasn't visual heavy. And so we said, well, what if we put together an event where we make sure that bloggers of color know that they're welcome? And so we started Blogalicious and I was still working full-time as a lawyer when we did that. And so we did the first event and it was a huge hit. And um, after that, it just kind of grew and took off from there. So that's how I transitioned from practicing law to being a blogger slash founder. Um, and then you know, Blogalicious grew to, you know, hundreds of people coming to the conference every year. And then the brands, like some of the ones that you named, um, wanted to connect with, with influencers. And the funny thing is, back then, influencer wasn't even a term, right? They were wanted to connect with bloggers. Um, and so they were um, coming on board to our event as sponsors and putting together these really cool activations so that they could get the bloggers to talk about them. Um, and that's how I built um, my first agency. Okay, there is so much to unpack here. And I wanna, <laughs> there really is, I know. And, and I really want to focus on the side of blogging. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but not only do I frequently get asked by young aspiring founders, like, do I need a blog? Should I start a blog? But also how people can take that blog and monetize it. I mean, that's something mm -hmm. that I did from a very young age and am quite frankly, very happy that I did do because at this day and age, I would not tell someone just rely on Instagram or TikTok. Like that's all you need. <laughs> I firmly believe that that's not all you need. I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a different thought about that, but even when you started blogging, that mom blogging community, I remember when I started, I became friends with so many mom blogs mom <laughs> bloggers back in the day. I mean, that was a huge, that was a huge thing. It was like the mom blogs and then the fashion blogs and then the food ones. And I mean, I remember so many of them to this day and they amassed these huge followings. Yes, absolutely huge followings. To your point though, I feel like the landscape has changed a lot. 
Whereas I wouldn't put all of your eggs in any one platform basket. Um, so I think you're like dead on there, especially, you know, this week, everyone's freaking out about Twitter and, and Elon Musk um, buying it and like what's going to happen to it. Right. So imagine if all of your eggs were in the Twitter basket. Right. You might be. Um, having a, a meltdown. So my advice is always, and somebody told me this a long time ago, like always have your corner of the internet that you can control, whether it's your blog, whether it's your podcast, whether it's your email list, right? Always have one place um, that you can go and connect with your people, your audience, your community that can't be taken away from you if, you know, Instagram decides to close tomorrow or, um, you know, Pinterest goes bankrupt. You won't lose all of your influence. So whatever that platform looks like for you, just make sure that you're paying attention to it, you're nurturing it, and you're not just abandoning it to hop on the next shiny thing because there's always going to be a shiny thing. So when we started our blogs, there was way less saturation in this market. I would say back, especially in the 2011 to 2014 timeframe, there was saturation, but it wasn't as much to where you really had to focus so quickly on building. I think that there was a lot of just fun in the game back then. Now, yes, I miss it. it. (laughs) No, I know, Stacey, I miss it. I miss it too, which is why I'm so curious to to tell people about what it's like to really build something without having the expectation it's going to become anything. So how did you you even build the community from blogging back then? It's going to sound so corny, but it's exactly what you said. It's developing authentic, genuine relationships, right? Like, um, reading someone's post, leaving a comment, sharing it, liking it, um, getting to know them so that, you know, if I know, oh my gosh, Alexa posts every Wednesday, I go to her blog and I look for her new post, you know? Um, and that was, it was kind of an easier way to connect because there was less noise and it wasn't so saturated. But I feel like the same general guidelines still apply. Um, I I do feel that people, um, especially post-pandemic, want to have those connections and and make them more meaningful. And everyone's kind of searching for like where their tribe is. Um, And so I think if you keep that as a center, you know, as a center, center your, your business around that, like creating those relationships and making sure you're actually connecting with people, letting them see who you are and getting to know who they are, um, that is what is going to sustain you. What was your blog hosted on initially? It was, so the first one was, was on, um, blogger, Google mm-hmm. blogger. <laughs> and oh, then, my language girl. Yes. That was so funny. And then I remember, yeah, I remember we chose blogger because I think TypePad was a thing, but it, it looked like it was too complicated. So we went with blogger and then, um, we got real fancy around like 2011 and went to WordPress. Um, and yeah, from then, like just stayed on WordPress. So I had multiple different blogs on WordPress. And it's funny because you were mentioning like what were the hot um, blog communities back then. And I had, I had a shoe blog and I had a food blog. Um, and then I decided I want to talk about everything. So I kind of merged it into a lifestyle blog, which is still there. I haven't written in a while, but it's still on WordPress. <laughs> oh yeah, that's exactly. That was literally the same evolution of mine. Blogger.com. And then I did Squarespace, which is super cool platform. Oh yeah. 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 And then WordPress. And and I think for people who don't know them, I mean, the main difference between all of them is Squarespace. You really can't, 
amend a lot of your templates. Like you mm. can make a website really easily on Squarespace. And I think to start off in any way, Squarespace is a great option. WordPress is way more involved. There's a lot of development. I yeah. think Stacey, you can do it on your own, but I think if you don't have the development background, it's harder to do. Yeah, it will be really frustrating, I think. Um, plus you don't want to you don't want to have start out with that negative experience, right? Like I'm sure Alexa, you can relate to like days of yelling at your WordPress um, template. So I feel like if you can, especially now, right? You can um, very inexpensively hire somebody to design it for you and get it up and running. I would definitely recommend that. Exactly. And then there's Wix. I don't know too much about Wix, but, uh, but blogger. It's gotten a lot better. Like I'm surprised sometimes now, like I, I remember when Wix used to have like a, a bad reputation, like, Oh, you're on Wix, you know, but now they look really good. And I say, do whatever you need to do to get your content online. Right. Exactly. And, then, and then you can always evolve. And, and your path can change too. the evolution of like the different themes and stuff. I have a lot of people ask me, okay, I want to start a blog. I don't know what to do it on. When I started, I was in fashion. Now I've gone, as you said, very lifestyle based, which seems kind of a similar path. And I attribute a lot of that to the fact that when I started, I had no intention for it to become anything. So years of being able to just kind of screw around and blog and have fun with it and whatnot, (laughs) are really what got me to, to wear I truly found the path that I wanted to pursue. And that was a, that was a strong period of time for those who are curious how to get to that path and maybe want to do it in the course of three weeks, figure out (laughs) what to blog about or what they really like. What advice do you have for them? Yeah. Great question. Um, So I think really start out with your goal in a perfect world. Um, you would just want to create content because you enjoy doing it and you want to have a voice. But I get that people want to turn it into a business, which is also totally fine. So decide, right? Is this going to be for fun or are you starting out because you have this goal in mind of wanting to generate revenue? And I think um, making that first decision will help you decide, am I going to just do it on a Squarespace, right? Where it can look really pretty, but there's not a ton on the back end, Or do I know I'm going to want to eventually integrate like a Shopify cart on there? Am I going to want um, to have really strong SEO because I want to have affiliate links, right? And if you have those kinds of goals in mind, then you probably are going to lean towards WordPress. So start out by deciding, is this like for fun and is, or is it for revenue? And to Alex's point, you can change your mind later, but it's really smart to make that decision now because it will help guide you. Um, the second thing is think about um, what is your unique perspective on the topic that you want to share. So there's a zillion blogs on any topic. Um, and I'm sure there's no topic that hasn't been covered yet, but like, what is your unique spin on it? What is your angle? What's your unique take on it? Um, and really lean into that. Um, and don't worry that, you know, maybe you want to talk about baking and there's a zillion baking blogs because you're going to have a unique perspective on baking. What could that be? What does that look like? I would also research other people in that niche to see what's working, um, what, you know, you might even get ideas about like what you want to stay away from. Um, but there's a lot of resources out there now to where you can make your job a little bit easier, where you can say, huh, this person did a video in this way. I think I'm going to try that. Right. Um, so you can help, uh, give yourself a leg up there. So I would say, start with those kind of three questions, researching, um, deciding what your unique perspective will be, and then figuring out what the goal is as far as revenue or not. I love that. That's such great steps. 
Do you think, and be totally honest here, that because of how easy in a sense it has been for people to get so successful and internet famous now that people completely forget <laughs> a lot of these building blocks? Oh, totally. I mean, it just looks so sexy and glamorous, right? Like take a, have a beautiful photo shoot. You're all glammed up. Um, and then all of a sudden you're going to have a million followers and brands are going to be like falling at your feet <laughs> where in truth, there's so much work that goes into the back end. You have to be a consistent poster. You have to create content that engages. You have to stay on top of what the algorithms are. You've got to build your community. <clears throat> You've got to, um, curate your content, come up with a, a content calendar, plan out ahead. You've got to be actively seeking out opportunities um, and constantly making sure that your brand is presented in the way that you want it to be. So yes, it is a lot of work. And that's why I say like decide what your goal is, because if you're, if you're only doing it for money, it's going to be exhausting because you have to love it because it really does take a lot out of you. Yeah, you're so right. And I'm really glad that I was able to see the, the shift in this and now fall mm -hmm. in love with the business side of it. I don't even love, <laughs> right? Like I never, and, and especially now don't love as much the content part. I still love to write, but I don't love Instagram captions and pictures and thinking about the algorithm and all of that. I, I, just, <laughs> oh. I, mean, I, I go back to my roots, you know, like I love the blog before there was all of this noise, but I, it's, it's great that it's gone in this way. It's just, it's just different. So when you worked at the, the agency behind the scenes for those wanting to pursue this kind of path, what did you look out for creators? What type of content did you look out that you would want to partner with one? And especially someone who isn't perhaps that pretty white girl on Instagram who has a different skin color and maybe has an accent, whatever. How did you choose which people to choose for the campaigns and whatnot? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I kind of took a different approach. And I think it was because my influencer community was primarily uh, women of color. But like, instead of looking at the person who had the most followers, what was really important to us was who had the most engagement. So even if you had, you know, and now there's a name for it, now you can be a micro-influencer. So even if you were a micro-influencer with less than 5,000 followers, um, if you posted something, did people um, engage with it? Did they interact with it? If you said, hey, I really love this thing, y'all should try it. Did people actually go out and try it? That was really the success metric that we looked at. So I think it was more quality over quantity. So that is one first thing I would say. Um, the other thing that was really important is just to see that people were consistent with their content. So it wasn't like you posted once and then I didn't see anything on any of your platforms for, for two months, right? We want to see a regular stream of content. So whatever your cadence is, just make sure you're consistently keeping up with it. And I would say between those two things, you'd probably be set. Oh, I like that. So the consistent content, I have a few friends actually who I don't think they do it full time, but they ask me, how often do you post? And I always kind of say, I mean, on social media, usually every day besides Sundays, the website, I try to do two to three times a week. But if you, what about someone who only posts really on their story and doesn't have a feed post up every week? I mean, is that saying that, do they get so into that when they're vetting in that vetting process or no? Yeah, I think it depends, right? If, if it's consistently on stories again, I think that's fine too. If, and, but I, and I would recommend, you know, highlighting your story so that they can see um, kind of a, a track record of what you've been doing. I, I think don't ignore your grid, make sure something's on your feed. 
Um, but if, if you, you could probably brand yourself as a stories only type influencer. I think that works as well. It just depends on what the particular campaign is looking for. I'm very pro on teaching young adults in particular, how to email companies and land their dream job without waiting for it to happen. And I know in this space, I've become pretty notorious for (laughs) how important it is to follow up and be really resilient and embrace the rejection. So as if you're a newer influencer, content creator, whatever we want to call it, should you be pitching brands all the time? Should you be waiting for them to come to you? Should you get on a blog platform like social fabric or blog meets brand? Yeah, I think you are right. You have to speak up for yourself, especially, especially now when there is so much saturation, um, you're going to have to stand out. And so thinking about, you know, how can I pitch myself to this particular brand or agency or, or, or opportunity that will make me stand out, uh, you know, among everyone else, you've got to be proactive. So make sure you have a media kit for your brand, right? Um, put on there, your, your bio, um, a snapshot of what your followers look like, um, what kinds of content you create and, you know, what kind of partnerships you're looking for and make sure it looks really great and um, it's up to date and that you are proactively pitching yourself for opportunities that make sense for your brand. Proactively pitching. I would like to put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, <laughs> right. Do you find a lot of new talent don't do that. They wait for opportunities to come to them. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking. It's like any other industry you feel like, oh gosh, I knew and I'm, and I'm shy and I'm not sure. And all these other people have been doing it for longer and they've got more followers than me, but let me tell you, it does not matter. What matters is your unique voice. You have something to bring to the table. You have something to offer. Um, The fact that you even are in this space means that you are creative and that's what um, partners are looking for. So don't be shy. Um, I literally know someone who I think she pitches, like she obviously like hired an assistant to help, but I feel like she puts out like 10 pitches a week or something. Um, Because to your point about rejection, right? Most of them will get rejected and that's okay. As long as one or two get get accepted. Um, So if this is something that you want to take seriously and turn into a full-time thing, you're going to have to do that just for the pure um, statistics of it alone. Like let's say one out of 10 gets accepted, right? Um, You wanna make sure you have a ton in the pipeline. Yeah, and always having different brands that you're working with or engagements. I think that there's something truly, truly to be said about newer talent and how important it is for them to be on so many different social platforms uh, because otherwise you pigeonhole yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If you're exactly. not, yeah. And so that also though, translate to making less money. If you're only focusing on Instagram to get paid, a brand might also want a blog post or something, right? Yes. And it gives you more leverage because you can say, oh, you know, like I, I'm a perfect example, actually. Like um, I probably have more followers on, I do have more followers on Twitter and I'm also verified over there, right? Versus I'm not on Instagram, but Instagram gets a different kind of engagement versus Facebook where like I could post my shoes are blue and I'll get a zillion comments. I don't get it. (laughs) But each platform, I have a different um, uh, unique value proposition that I'm able to share with the brand. Whereas if I only had a presence on one platform, I would be a lot less marketable. Ooh, 
that's a good point. And that's a good way to describe it too, is that you're less marketable and you, you enable yourself to have way less opportunities when you put yourself into one of those categories. And especially I can't imagine the frustration you'll feel as a creator, right? If you don't, after a year, make it on TikTok and you've now lost a year when you could have also been on Instagram and you could have been on your blog. So Stacey, before we get into your work now with Genius Guild, any ballpark rates, if you say have an Instagram page or a TikTok page with a thousand to 5,000 followers, what should you charge a brand? Ooh, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> so it, it, and I hate the answer, but if the answer is the answer is that it depends. So um, here's what I mean by that. If you are in a super niche, like maybe you're into, I don't know, like anime, right? I feel like you could probably charge a little more because anime influencers are few and far between. I could be totally wrong, right? That's just an example. Um, whereas if you are, say, a style blogger, I know that those are a plenty. So you might have to be a little bit more flexible with your rate to be competitive. That said, if you're a style blogger and you've got a, a, a huge amount of followers, um, you might be able to kind of stand your ground and say, my rate is my rate. But just to give you like a, a concrete number, I would say if we're talking about Instagram and you have 5,000 or less followers for a feed post, oh gosh, it's hard. Like if it's a, if it's a lesser known kind of new brand to the space, maybe you want to charge them between like 250 to 750. Um, however, if it's an established like household name brand, you could charge them, you know, $1,500. If they would like you to do a reel, we know those are more work, right? So you could charge maybe $2,500 for a reel. It just all depends on what the product is, who the brand is, um, and what the ask is. Um, just just kind of be mindful of that. Um, so you could have your own rate card. Um, and just a personal uh, guideline of mine is like, what is that number that will make you excited to do the project? Because we've all been asked to like do the long blog post for a hundred dollars and you're irritated that you said yes, because it wasn't worth your time. So like, what would be worth your time? Or maybe you're just really excited about the brand. And so you're willing to do it for a little bit less than you normally would because you want to establish that relationship. So just kind of weigh all of those factors. And I know it wasn't a, a black and white answer and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's also, it's, it's, it's never going to be a black and white answer because there's so yeah. many different variations that go into it. And something that I always do too, is I always offer that bundle deal. You know, we can do one Instagram post or a blog post, a TikTok and Instagram, whatever it may be. And you're going to make, I'm going to make more content, but I'm also going to make more money, but also to a brand. What I've realized is that's really appealing to them because mm -hmm. they're getting a discount. Then if they were to do it all separately in, uh, and then in that way as well, they, all the brands, right. They always want to feel like they're getting good bang for their buck. And when there's so many creators out there, I think that that's something they yearn towards a lot more now. Yeah. And you make such a great point about your bundle, because I want to just want everyone to know that you are empowered to negotiate. Don't feel like because the brand said, hey, we want to pay you this for this type of content that you have to say yes. You know, you can say, all right, if that's your budget, here's what I can do for that. Um, and, and you can create your own bundle um, and they'll appreciate that. So make sure that you feel empowered to do that. 
Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good to know, because I always say that as well, always to go back, always to write the pitch. And I think having someone like you who's so far along in this world say it, it, it has major meaning to, towards it. So thanks for your honesty. So now that you're at Genius Guild, tell me about and that's I know when I met you that you're you're still there as well. So mm-hmm. what is Genius Guild? How does the VC world? How does the VC world work? What makes you guys different from other firms? Yeah, so Genius Guild is um, a venture capital fund that invests only in diverse women creators and founders. And so you hear people talk about getting investment capital um, or VC capital, right? That's what we do. Um, our, what makes us special is that we are looking for women talent of color. Um, and uh, like most, hardly any VC firms out there do that. But um, Catherine Finney, who is the founder and CEO and, and managing partner, she really saw a need to um, cater to that community who often gets overlooked a lot in the VC space, which has typically, you know, really funded the typical white guys tech startup. Um So Genius Guild, she started at the end of 2020 to make sure that these underrepresented communities had an opportunity to get investment capital too. Um, And so it's definitely an option. What I, so when I'm new to the VC space, I'm learning so much. um, And what I've learned is that there's like different levels. And so I'll just give you a quick snapshot, right? The first level is like friends and family. So if you wanna start a company, you have an idea, you can go out to your family members, friends, and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Could you invest um, some money in my idea? And that's where you see some of those GoFundMes, right? And those crowdfunding campaigns. So that could be a first option. Um, Another option is maybe you have a contact with someone who just kind of has a lot of money in deep pockets, and that could be an angel investor. So you could have this person who believes in you um, and they're gonna fund your project. If, then you wanna go to the next step, that's where venture capital comes into play. And so the thing with venture capital is, of course, investors are investing into your idea, but they are also gonna want a big return. So there's things to consider as far as, do you want that pressure of having to generate a certain percentage of a return to the investors that you're gonna have to pay back what what they invested and then some. Um, And so Genius Guild invests in emerging founders, meaning ones who are just at the beginning of their journey, which is pretty cool. Um, And then after that, there's what's called seed uh, round and then series A, B, C rounds where you're really established, you've already gotten VC, you've proven that you can generate a return and then you're ready to go to the next level. Got it. And how often do those deals go down the drain like if, <laughs> I, I don't know no. is it very common that a company gets invested in maybe a million a million and a half and mm-hmm. they don't have a good ROI or something mm-hmm. goes wrong I mean is that a common thing it's so funny you should ask it is a common thing and what is interesting is that what we've seen is that a lot of times the ones who fail and who keep getting opportunities to fail over and over typically to, typically end up being male and they end up being white males, right? And they keep getting chances. Um, and so we wanted to be a firm that could give the same kinds of chances 
to uh, founders of color and women um, who don't get the same grace with other firms. But I think, uh, I'm not gonna remember the exact stat, but I think what it is is the general sense is that for investors in a fund is that let's say you invest in 10 companies, one of them will generate enough return to make up for the investment in the other nine that didn't. So there is an expectation going in that all will not be successful because that's just the way um, the world works. Ah, okay. So that's kind of something in that is expected. Is it something though that people should think about when they go to pitch? Like, does it help in any way? And that might be a silly question, but does it make it a little bit less intimidating if you go into a pitch as a founder thinking like, okay, what's the worst that d- happens if this doesn't work <laughs> out? I don't know. I think so, right? Like the worst that will happen is that they'll say no, but guess what? You'll have had an opportunity to pitch, which you'll get practice pitching. You might be able to go through the due diligence process. So you'll understand what investors are looking for, um, what your paperwork needs to look like, what kind of... Um, accounting you need to have, what kind of team you need to form. So I think with every opportunity that doesn't go right, there's always going to be a lesson. There's always going to be a takeaway of something that you can learn and implement to do better the next time. Do you have any specific stats about how often or how rarely Black founders are invested in? Oh, gosh. Um, I should have this at the top of my tongue. But yes, it's actually pretty rare. In fact... Actually, if my, I've got a tab open here with a stat, um, it's just loading. Give me two seconds. Um, but I think um, TechCrunch did a uh, research survey last year. Um, and I think it's like what, less than 1% of the monies that were um, invested last year went to women businesses. Here we go. So it says 3% of VC investors are Black and 1.7% of VC spec startups have a Black founder. Um, And so as you can see, those numbers are pretty sad. And 2.4% of VC funding is allocated to Black and Latinx founders. Um, So yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done. Why, why is it though? Why is it so low? I mean, racism, <laughs> but then also, is it, just, is it just that? Yeah. I mean, not that it's not just that, but that, um, takes a lot of different shapes and forms. So because, um, you got to start all the way back, right. In communities, thinking about who gets access to, um, education opportunities that then allows them to become business-minded, who gets access to friends and family that have money to invest, um, who has access to networks of people in, in wealthy or influential positions to where they can get personal referrals and investment and loans and all of those kinds of things, right? It's kind of all a big snowball effect. And it's the same people tends to be that have access to those kinds of opportunities. So that's who end up getting the VC dollars. I mean, it's changing. It's just very slow and gonna take a while. Um, 
I know we saw a big boost after um, the 2020 uprisings, after George Floyd, and a lot of companies saying, okay, we're going to be more intentional about investing um, in companies of color because we understand the playing the playground is not, excuse me, the playing field <laughs> is not level. I love the playground. The playground too, right? Uh, um, but like, are were those just kind of um, charitable donations that, that companies made out of guilt or are they truly investing in those communities? And those are the kinds of conversations and questions that we need to ask. And it's so sad to even like, I hate even thinking about it because it's so disappointing to even think mm-hmm. right that a company would attribute dollars to something because of your right guilt or <laughs> right. the ability to know that they're racist but they don't want to talk about it it's just right. a really or, or good PR yeah right. it's just all so fucked up but there's so yeah. many that's <laughs> fucked up the justice system is fucked up like there's a lot that that needs to be changed in this world that we probably can both agree on so when yeah. you're looking at a, at a founder uh, regardless of their race but definitely one who may be black or any other race that's not white mm-hmm. what do you look for in that pitch like what is a founder makes you want to invest in that person yeah so the founder has to be a subject matter expert at what it is that they're pitching right um they need to know the industry they need to have you need to demonstrate that they've done their research they understand the ins and outs um, they also have to be able to present in a really, really um, engaging and impressive, cohesive way. Because as you know, like 90% of being a founder is being able to tell your story effectively. And so can they do that? The other thing is, who are they surrounding themselves with? Do they have a good team? If they don't have a good team yet, do they understand the need for a good team? Maybe they just need some help finding the right people. Um, But what you don't want is a founder who thinks they can do it all themselves because it's literally impossible. Um, The other thing is, are they open to uh, feedback? Um, And, you know, constructive feedback, of course. A lot of founders might think like, I know everything, I've been doing this, I'm so smart. But like, if you are going to take investment money, you need to be able to take information and feedback and suggestions and guidance from those investors, Um, unless they're silent, in which case more power to you. (laughs) Um, But those are some of the qualities that we look for in a founder. Hmm, Very interesting. And how much time do you think it takes to to become so aware of the market, like when you said that they're able to really know every detail on a market, is that something that can happen really fast? Is that something that takes years for a founder to be involved with? Yeah, I think it depends, right? Some people have a natural knack for things. If that's your case, then awesome. Um, But don't underestimate um, reading and and staying up on news and putting yourself in rooms where subject matter experts are going to frequent, go to conferences, um, you know, attend webinars, take classes, anything you can do to brush up on your skill set is really going to be appreciated and it's going to be in service to you and you'll, you'll never be sad, right, that you learn something extra. So never stop learning. Never stop learning. I always say, always be learning. <laughs> and would, you, would you say that as well, too, with every other area of life, relationships, Totally. Yeah. Yep, exactly. That's a good lesson for all of us for everything. What is one way that someone can get out of their comfort zone this week? And the second question on top of that is how is one way that you've been fearless this week? 
Ooh, good question. So I think one way is exactly do exactly what Alexa did, right? She reached out to me. Um, we met once for like what 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, Hey, I would love to talk with you on my podcast. And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. So either um be the person doing the asking or being the person or be the person saying yes. I think that is a great way to be fearless. Um, and one way I was fearless this week, let me think. Um, God, maybe I'll just say this, right? I said, yes, I said yes to doing your podcast. We scheduled it really quickly. Um, and I could have said, oh no, you know, it's not really about me right now. I'm working for Genius Guild, but I was like, I was so appreciative that you saw me and saw that I had been doing cool things in my career and you wanted to talk to me. So, um, I'm going to pat myself on the back for saying yes to you. Oh, I, I love that. Both of those were so sweet. And it's something that even to someone might seem really small that saying yes, but in reality, that is a big thing because I always, that with thing. yeah, because it might get you a little bit out of your comfort zone. It might not be something that you're super familiar with or usually do for whatever it is that you might say yes to. And that in regards makes you fearless. You do not need to be skydiving to be fearless. Oh, I love that. That's, I want that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> me too. Okay. I'll, I'll make it and send one to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so Stacey, tell me, uh, my last question for you is if you're a founder and you're in the community that most of you invest in for Genius Guild, what is the next step? How can they get in front of you and your team? Absolutely. I love this one. So go to geniusguild.co and click on fund and you'll be able to pitch your company. So there's a pitch form. Um, Just answer all of the questions in there and then our team is going to review it and then schedule a time to chat with you. So we invite any and everyone to do that. That's awesome. So it's just as simple for anyone to take that first step by doing the research or going on a website and submitting something like that. You never know what's going to come from it, right? You never know what's going to come from it. Exactly right. I love it. And your personal work, aside from genius and with what you do in the justice system, how can everyone participate in that? Oh, thank you. Yes. You can follow me on any platform. My handle is at justice Fergie. And that's because my, um, when I was blogging and when I was still practicing law, I wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> so my handle was Justice Fergie and my website is justicefergie.com. And that just kind of stuck. So I would love to hear from anyone um, on Instagram, on my blog, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you can find me. Well, Stacey, thank you so much. I feel like I learned so much from this. I'm really glad that I feel like a lot of the questions I would even have for someone else that you reminded me, I think I'm on the right path when I give someone advice. And you have even more experience than I do. So that's really refreshing. And thank you so much for taking the time on this Fearless Friday to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Good luck to you and congrats on all you've accomplished so far. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. Like I said, there will be an announcement this week on where the next summit is. And I'm really excited about the next phase of this brand. And if you haven't signed up yet to be a part of the Be Fearless community, you can do so right at the link on the Be Fearless Summit Instagram bio, and you can match with a mentor too on my personal Instagram bio, which is lifeunfilteredalexa.com slash mentors. And that mentor match program is giving you access to a variety of really big talent and successful entrepreneurs and CEOs who I met through either my podcast or the Disney show who have allowed, allowed themselves to do this and say yes to me as a friend and, and, return, give you guys advice and mentorship and whatnot. So definitely go to that link and everyone have an awesome rest of your week and stay fearless. Bye guys.